Food Heals Nation, what have you been doing lately when it comes to truly caring for your skin? Have you tried any of the light therapy facials or the LED masks? I've shared on this show how I use lasers to completely remove my brown spots in the past, and I love anything that can help me with wrinkles or blemishes or redness or scars. I find a lot of great products on YouTube that I test out, and I've just discovered a new brand. It's called Lima, and when you see the before and afters on YouTube, you're going to be a convert too. They are changing the way that you care for your skin on actually a profoundly scientific level. This is the Lima laser. It's the world's most powerful clinic grade cosmetic laser device and the only laser FDA cleared for at home use. Why this is important is because I was spending, I'm not going to tell you how much, way too much money years ago when I was getting rid of those brown spots when I was really healing my skin. And now This same type of technology is available at home, and I'm here for it. I am so excited. So this is a near-infrared laser light that penetrates deep into the dermis, simultaneously working on your fat, muscle, and bone to give you like a non-surgical facelift. It transforms your skin. It helps skin issues like wrinkles, sagging, blemishes, pigmentation, redness, breakouts, and scars. And it does this with zero damage, zero pain, and zero downtime. And I remember the lasers that I used to do, they did have some downtime, so this is great. Make sure to check out some of the before and after photos on the website so you can see what I'm talking about. They have YouTube videos too. But the reason it's groundbreaking is it uses that near-infrared low-level light technology, which is completely cold and painless, and it's 100 times more powerful than an LED. And the craziest part is you can even use it with a full face of makeup. So check it out for yourself. Visit lima.life. L is for live. Y is for younger. M is for masterful. A is for approved, and learn more about the Lima Laser. If you're interested in trying one today, you can sign up for their newsletter. Tell them that Food Heals sent you, and please let me know if you order one. I want to hear about your results. Again, it's lima.life, L-Y-M-A dot life. Y'all, oh my God, Food Heals Nation, I just got the softest sheets and pajama set from Cozy Earth, and I had to go and get you a discount code too, so that you could experience the coziness as well. You can visit CozyEarth.com, use the promo code FOODHEALS, and you'll get an exclusive 35% off. So Cozy Earth, it's like your one-stop shop for what they call the luxury she deserves. So listen up, guys because this could make a great gift for that special someone, your girlfriend, your wife, the mother in your life. And don't forget, Mother's Day will be here before we know it. So get a gift for the mom or moms. Here's a nice little gift you could ask for. Anyways, let's start with the sheets to transform your sleep. The coolest thing about Cozy Earth Bedding is that it is temperature regulating. So you stay cool, which is so important when you're sleeping. Plus they are just so soft. It feels like I'm sleeping on a cloud. Plus I love the cozy earth quality and longevity promise. All products come with a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty. So incorporating cozy earth products into your self-care routine can enhance your sleep quality and just overall wellness. So Again, this is the luxury you deserve. You can treat yourself to the ultimate in comfort and indulgence with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize your self-care and sleep health. 
And while you're at it, don't forget to check out the Bamboo Pajama Set. It was awarded Oprah's Favorite Things in 2019, so you know it's good. I love the softness and breathability of the fabric, and it has these really great side pockets. And don't forget that by supporting our sponsors, you support this show. Head over to CozyEarth.com, use the promo code FOODHEALS for an exclusive 35% off, and go get your mom the luxury she deserves on Mother's Day at CozyEarth.com with promo code FOODHEALS. Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals podcast with your hosts, Alison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Heals nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In real cases, women have experienced a strong desire to stop asking their boyfriends if they look fat and stress. If you experience any of these symptoms, post a selfie to Instagram immediately. All right, welcome Food Heals Nation. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Allison Melody. What if there was a simple treatment protocol that you could do at home without going to the hospital when you or a loved one got sick with COVID? That is what today's guest, Dr. Peter McCullough, is here to share. Dr. McCullough is an internist, a cardiologist, and an epidemiologist. Since the outset of the pandemic, Dr. McCullough has been a leader in the medical response to the COVID-19 disaster. McCullough is known for his iconic views on the state of medical truth in America and around the globe. And today, he's breaking it down for us, the data, the science, the stats, the facts about where we are today with patient care and where we're going. And he's going to reveal the exact treatment protocol that you can do at home to avoid hospitalization or complications from COVID. But first, Food Heals Nation, what podcasts are you listening to these days? Besides Food Heals, of course, um, I want to recommend one of my faves. Katie Kremitzos is a friend of the show, and her amazing podcasts are literally a part of my daily routine. I can't recommend them enough. Katie creates guided meditations for sleep, for anxiety, for manifesting, for stepping into your power, so much more. I mean, that's not even doing it justice. Just go read some of the titles. Um, You can listen when you want to start your day with a mindful intention, when you want to relieve stress or relieve anxiety, when you want to fall asleep easier, or simply tune in to the wisdom of your inner voice. Each meditation is created with love. Katie infuses all her love and you can hear it. You can feel it. It's amazing. She wants to help you shine throughout all the seasons of your life. And I'm just personally obsessed with the sleep meditations. Um, They do guide me to sleep most nights. And during my meditation time, I play them. And during my nap time, I play them to help me meditate into a nap. One of my favorite afternoon pastimes. (laughs) And that is one of the many podcasts brought to you by the Women's Meditation Network. And you just sit back, relax, lay down, get comfortable, and let Katie's guided meditations help you ease into sleep peacefully. So you just get comfy, press play, let yourself be guided into dreamland. I just channeled Katie for a second there. Um, And Katie's podcasts are available wherever you listen to podcasts. Get started right now at womensmeditationnetwork.com. All right, next up, my interview with Dr. McCullough. Roll it, Roxy. The Food Hills Podcast starts now. 
Food Heals Nation, please welcome Dr. McCullough to the show. Hi, I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. It's so great to be on the program. I'm a practicing internist and cardiologist in Dallas, Texas. I practice non-invasive cardiology. I maintain my boards in both specialties. About half my time is in clinical practice, and the other half of the time is uh, as an author, a clinical scholar. And in, in the last two years, I'm a frequent news commentator on COVID-19 as I've really focused my research efforts and my scholarship on the pandemic and, and how to best handle patients and try to help them through this difficult time. Can you take us back before we get into um, the pandemic and how everything has changed for all of us? Um, I want to hear a little bit about your background and why you went into cardiology and why are you passionate about health and helping people? I grew up in Texas and went to Baylor undergrad and then the University of Texas Southwestern in Dallas. And from there, I went on to University of Washington in Seattle for my medicine training. And back in the 80s, it was common for uh, graduates to do service. Many of my fellow colleagues went into the military or a center for disease control. I signed up for a rural health commitment and I worked uh, three years as a general practitioner in a remote area. And then in the third year of that, I combined it with training in public health at the University of Michigan. And so I think that experience really made me broad-based and you know, I've always just enjoyed uh, seeing patients and trying to help them the best I can. Um, as I moved into academics, I've uh, picked an area that was uh, relatively uh, understudied, and that was how the heart and kidneys communicate with one another and how they interact uh, with respect to both disease and health, and made some important contributions along the way. And, and I think in total now, I have over 650 publications in the uh, National Library of Medicine, PubMed, and, and that's the, you know, that's tops for uh, doctors working in this field of cardiorenal medicine. Wow. So when COVID-19 hit, I, I saw a, a gap. I saw a void. There was a lot of panic. People are worried about masks and hand sanitizers and personal protective equipment, but no one was focusing on the sick patient and people were getting mm -hmm. sick at home. Uh, there appeared to be absolutely no advice for them on what they could do to try to uh, basically avoid two bad outcomes. People have been for two years now been trying to avoid hospitalization or death. And I set out to, to try to find an approach to have people successfully get through the illness. Why do you think it was? Because the most frustrating part for me was that no one was talking about how to boost your immune system naturally um, or any type of nutritional protocol. Why do you think that was? I think there was an oblivion with respect to prevention of hospitalization and death. Almost everybody went into a fear-based survival mode, particularly the doctors. The doctors were almost completely focused on locking down the hospitals, shutting down the operating rooms, heart catheterization laboratories, closing down clinics, doing telemedicine. Uh, most of it was, you know, how do the doctors and nurses avoid getting COVID? Well, those efforts did pay off. You know, there was never a single hospital outbreak of COVID among the workers in the United States, none. Mm. There was initially nursing home outbreaks, nursing home worker to patient uh, transference of the virus. But after the first few months, you never even heard about the nursing homes. The nursing homes quieted down. Everyone figured out how to manage themselves with respect to acutely sick patients with COVID. And there were millions and millions of sick patients with COVID. It's pretty amazing that we didn't have complete hospital shutdowns due to hospital-wide outbreaks. We never had them. So we figured that part of the illness out. But what never occurred uh, was a broad-based effort to help people get through the illness at home. I, I would have expected, you know, two years into this, that we'd have outpatient treatment centers, 
Uh, we would have take-home uh, packets of medications, uh, home-based monitoring, phone calls, uh, a broad-based home care, uh, nursing program, uh, oxygen at home. Uh, I mean, I think almost everybody would say, listen, if COVID-19 is going to come knocking, if they can make it, make it through at home and avoid the hospital, that would be a victory. Yeah, absolutely. And it's strange that there wasn't, that makes perfect sense to me, that there wasn't an at-home treatment protocol because most people have that. When they get sick, they kind of know what works for them and how to heal. And a lot of it is rest and time. Uh, for me, I'm like overdosing on vitamins, not overdosing, but superdosing. And so we all have kind of our protocols when we get something. And so I don't know why this seemed so different and so much more um yeah, fear-based severe, the way that it was spoken about in the press, and people were terrified of getting it. Even healthy people were terrified of getting it. Yeah, the fear was out of proportion to the reality. And one of the things that you suggested was the fact that an individual could actually themselves alter the potential severity of illness in themselves. And so we learned a lot about the illness in the first few months. For instance, uh, age was clearly a risk factor. We can't do anything for age, but um, obesity, cardiopulmonary fitness, uh, diabetes, heart disease, lung disease, kidney disease, prior cancer, these were all risk factors. Of those that are modifiable, clearly it was obesity and cardiopulmonary fitness. And uh, I give credit to Dr. Barry Franklin in Southeast Michigan, who I've published with, He's published on a concept called survival of the fittest as it applies to cardiopulmonary fitness. And it is true that the fittest people among us are more likely to survive a pneumococcal pneumonia, a car accident with multiple trauma, a, a prolonged period underwater. Uh, you can go on and on, but there is a tremendous advantage to being fit. And during the course, the first year of the pandemic, I knew I was taking risks. I was treating so many patients with covid I intentionally lost weight and really got in shape. I was doing a lot of running, a lot of aerobic and strength activity. I was almost wow. ready to take my hit. And sure enough, COVID came knocking in October of 2020. And I did okay. have some pulmonary involvement, uh, but I didn't get anywhere close to the hospital because uh, I knew that, you know, I had really been working on this. You know, another really interesting factor since you brought it up is an exquisite relationship between vitamin D and COVID outcomes. Vitamin, right. vitamin D is an intranuclear hormone, and it works in the nucleus of cells, and it is a steroid hormone. In every study that's been done, shows a relationship. The higher the vitamin D intake and concentration, the, the lower the risk of COVID-19 outcomes. In fact, there's been meta-analysis, there's even been prospective studies. It is a unique relationship. Uh, and an analysis showed that if a vitamin D concentration was over 50 in the bloodstream, it was nearly impossible to die of covid and so we rely on this. I rely on this in my office every day. I measure vitamin D levels. And I said, listen, I, I don't know if this is therapeutic or not, but I have to tell you, it's so easy to do. Let's do it. And so we've always recommended in our protocols some baseline level of vitamin D. And following expert advice and some published data, we actually increase the dose during acute treatment. Wow. Yeah, this makes so much sense to me. And obviously, 
I can't claim that this is why I never got it, but I've been taking vitamin D every single day since before this began. And I have not had a single sniffle since this whole thing began. I've never had COVID. And I do consider myself lucky, but I also know I took preventative measures and continue to do so every day because I eat clean, I work out, I take a lot of vitamins, including vitamin D being on the forefront of making sure that I get every day and uh, along with sunlight, but taking them internally and externally. And so that makes so much sense to me. And I remember early on, they were talking about patients in China who were getting vitamin D intravenously. I think it was vitamin C and vitamin D perhaps intravenously. And that article just disappeared and was never reported on CNN or Fox News. And I was like, why aren't we talking about this? And it was frustrating. So I'm so glad you were on the forefront of that. So take me through March to now, because I know so much has happened and we only have 45 minutes to an hour, but take me through what that was like for you, because I know that it actually got controversial and I don't think it should have, but take me through what you did because you were like, all right, let me help people get healthy because we're not doing that right now. We're just putting on some, slapping on some hand sanitizer. You know, I was just on a podcast with uh, Patrick Bet David in uh, Florida, the uh, Valuetainment podcast. And they started out by saying, Dr. McCullough, you're controversial. You know, and I thought about it and I said, well, you know, I'm a pretty regular guy. I haven't done anything controversial in my life. I don't even have a tattoo or I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't drink any alcohol. I go to church when I can. And, you know, I've been married for 34 years. I, I just don't see myself as a controversial figure. Now, the question is, right. did I say anything, comfort, you know, did I say anything that was um, controversial? And, I, and, and this was one statement I, off the gate I said. I said, listen, we are going to treat patients at home to help them avoid hospitalization and death. Now, the question is, is that controversial or should that be controversial? So it, what the naysayers would jump on this and say, well, listen, what are you going to use? What are you going to treat? And I said, you know, we don't have definitive large randomized trials. They take two to five years to complete. The guidelines are going to take another two years after that based on those clinical trials. So we actually don't have the answer handed to us in the beginning of 2020. So we're going to look for drugs that have a signal of benefit that can uh, address this problem and acceptable safety. As long as they're safe, we're going to give it a shot and put these drugs in a combination. And our very first paper was published in the American Journal of Medicine in August of 2020, still the most frequently downloaded paper from that journal for an entire year. It really was explosive when it hit the scenes. It was the first paper that taught doctors how to treat patients with COVID worldwide as outpatients. And it basically said this. It said that we do risk stratification. Not everybody needs treatment, but anybody who's got more than a 1% risk of hospitalization and death, that's typically everybody over age 50, and those who have multiple medical problems, we've gone over them, or those presenting with severe symptoms, and that's an important point, that they should get early treatment, <clears throat> starting with uh, a variety of interventions. Now, we broadly considered uh, things that reduce viral replication, and then interventions that reduce inflammation or cytokine storm, and then lastly, blood thinners, since we learned that uniquely this virus causes blood clotting, in fact, uh, the Italian autopsy studies done very early in the pandemic showed uh, when patients died of COVID, they almost uniformly had blood clots, micro blood clots in the lungs, not ones we could see on CT scan, but it's the small blood clots in the lungs that were causing the low oxygen saturation. It wasn't wow. like a consolidative pneumonia or it wasn't like 
heart failure. It was a, this microthrombosis, which was very interesting. So we noticed from the very beginning that the low oxygen saturations were far better tolerated than what we would see in heart failure, as an example. It was almost like going to altitude. You know, if you go to altitude at Pikes Peak, your oxygen saturation goes down low 90s into 80s, some people, you know, low 80s, and it's tolerated well. As long as the difficulty in breathing isn't overwhelming, the work of breathing isn't overwhelming, and as long as there's good ability to think, good mentation, that we learned over time to tolerate oxygen saturations far below 94% at home. And in a paper by Fillmore and colleagues from the VA in June of this year, reported that 45% of everybody hospitalized for COVID had oxygen saturations over 94%. So that told me a lot of these hospitalizations were panic hospitalizations. They really weren't necessary. They could have been managed at home. Now, fast forward towards the end of 2020, we had come out with our second version of the protocol published in reviews in cardiovascular medicine. I'm the first author on both papers, but the second paper is now 57 authors. And we had a home treatment guide published by the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, AAPS, online.org. That's been updated multiple times. The protocol now has been copyrighted. It's called the McCullough Protocol, copyrighted in my honor by Dr. Ben Marble and his treatment team. And it is as follows. This is the state of the art that uh, once we do this risk stratification, if someone is at sufficient risk, we start oral nasal uh, virucidal treatment. This is very important. You do this at home. We use dilute povidone iodine. And so povidone iodine is betadine. It comes on Amazon or buy it at the store in a 10% solution. It's the brown liquid that we sterilize wounds in the ER and the operating room with. And it. It's perfectly safe if we keep it external. We don't swallow it. And in fact, there, there are okay. formulations of this as eye drops, what have you. So it's, it's tried and true. Now, how you do the solution is you take half a teaspoon in 1.5 ounces of water, and that would be a shot glass of water. So we, we made it easy. Half a teaspoon in a shot glass, put a pinch of salt in there, just a little bit, makes it easier to tolerate, and uh, stir it up, and then squirt it up in the nose over the sink. And when you start to squirt it up the nose with a bulb syringe or just a spray pump bottle, which you can also get on Amazon for about a dollar, uh, you okay. start to feel the liquid up in your nose and go ahead and sniff it back all the way back until it hits the back of your throat and then spit it out and do it on both sides. It's a little messy. That's the reason why I tell people do it over the sink um, and do it on both sides twice. And then whatever you have left in the shot glass, gargle with it and spit it out. That's a thorough oral nasal uh, virucidal treatment. And uh, if, it, if that iodine can't be tolerated, if there's a hyperfunctioning thyroid nodule or Graves disease, or if a woman's pregnant, we don't advise this being done in pregnancy, we can use dilute hydrogen peroxide. Hydrogen peroxide comes as a 3% solution. You buy it in the, in the brown plastic bottle over the counter, very inexpensive. And you take three quarters of a teaspoon in the same shot glass of water, same approach, and do the same procedure. There are 12 clinical studies supporting virucidal uh, oral nasal therapy. The, the leads are with povidone iodine, three large randomized trials, all showing significant, I mean, very large reductions in the rate of PCR positivity. It literally makes somebody non-infectious within a few days. This is very important, so they don't spread the virus as much. And then it markedly cuts down the risk of hospitalization and death. In the published prevention studies, more than 70% effective. It's also preventive. Wow. Uh, so if one goes to church or in a congregate setting, they're at high risk. If they did it once or twice a day, it's preventive. But because not everybody gets exposure, the published studies suggest it's about 50% 
preventive. Uh, but the virucidal uh, approach is something that everybody can do. And uh, we know, by the way, people who have taken the vaccine, the virus replicates in the nose just as easily as those who haven't taken the vaccine. That's been shown in papers by Acherian and Rhymerisma. And of course, the, I'll say the first author's name so everybody can uh, look this up, fact checkers can can go ahead and verify this, that sure. um, the, the viral loads in the nose are the same. The vaccine doesn't stop the virus, doesn't stop transmission. So if I had a high-risk senior, even no matter how many vaccines they took, I would tell them, listen, you go out to church and you come home before the end of the day, do a virucidal wash. What I've learned from uh, dentists and sinus doctors and others is that this has been used forever for chronic sinusitis, for um, a deviated nasal septum with infection, and it works for bacteria as well as for various viruses. So I've tried it right. now a couple times myself with a common cold, and instead of having three weeks of congestion and cold symptoms, uh, one can actually get through it in a matter of a few days because the virus kills the virus. A whole variety of viruses are killed with this, these agents. This is so interesting because I used to go see a colon hydrotherapist in LA, and if you would get sick, she would give you a concoction. And I, I, Dr. McCullough, I couldn't tell you what was in it, but I'm pretty sure it was iodine, and you would put it up the nose and you would hold it until it hit the back of your throat, just like you said. And so I would just buy it from her for like 20 bucks, maybe 25, I can't remember, if I had a cold, and it would knock it out in a day or two. And I loved it because it didn't, didn't feel great going down the nose, I'm not going to lie, but it's so much easier than anything else, and it worked pretty quickly. So I wonder if it was the same type of, um, you know, yeah. uh, ingredients. It could have been. Uh, now there are data with uh, people said, doctor, I don't want to do all this mixing in shot glasses. Just tell me what to buy. Uh, there are povidone iodine, 1% nasal sprays, which is the appropriate dilution of 10% down to 1%. Uh, there's, a okay. there's a product called Exlear uh, that's available widely. Uh, that is uh, virucidal. We know that um, colloidal silver is uh, nasal ozone is, it's actually very easy to kill the virus. Uh, believe it or not, uh, scope or Listerine gargling is effective because you always want to pick up in the throat. And I learned through all this that, you know, when a typical cold starts out with a sore throat, the virus is actually in the lymph nodes in the mucosal tissues in the back of the throat. And it's actually a good idea to gargle. I think everybody should have some scope or Listerine and gargle at the first onset of the sore throat, any common cold and certainly with COVID. Now, what else is in what we call the OTC bundle, the over-the-counter bundle? Uh, mm -hmm. So the, the, we have to treat the virus in the nasal cavity. We cannot ignore this. This is state-of-the-art, especially with Omicron, which replicates 70 times faster than Delta. And now with the, okay. BA, wow. with the BA2 subvariant, which is even more transmissible. So what's happening is the vaccines are putting ecological pressure on the virus is becoming more and more transmissible. And that means it replicates faster and it's more contagious. So we definitely want to hit the sinuses. Uh, and you can do that up to uh, uh, every four hours. Now, um, with the oral therapy, we recommend zinc, 50 milligrams a day. It's a polymerase inhibitor, so it has an effect on the virus. Uh, vitamin D we've covered. Now, my current approach is to boost it to vitamin D3 over the counter to 20,000 units a day for five days. Now, not forever, but for five days. Uh, vitamin, okay. vitamin uh, C, 3,000 milligrams a day. Now, sick patients, we can use uh, even much higher doses intravenously, which is virucidal, and we can use home care nursing. I know many have uh, done that. Uh, I'm an allopathic doctor, so I'm not as skilled as a naturopathic doctor is in 
working with these, but I know many have done that successfully and are, are supportive data. Uh, a, a quercetin, which is a polyphenol yep. supplement, 500 milligrams twice a day. And then an over-the-counter antacid antihistamine called famotidine or Pepsid. Um, there the dose uh, is 80 milligrams a day. The, the over-the-counter recommendation is 20, but we go to 80 a day. And that it not only reduces some of the inflammation and histamine release, but it also reduces replication of the virus. That OTC bundle, and the first, that's the top part of the McCullough protocol, can handle the vast majority of Omicron infections. So I can tell you in the last three months, my prescription drug use has gone down massively because Omicron is such a local infection in the nose and throat. Now, in a high-risk senior, which I've had now a couple times, and they start to develop uh, any pulmonary symptoms, or I just know things are going to go bad from the beginning, uh, we use uh, sotorivimab, and now there's a new monoclonal antibody by Lilly, uh, bortorivimab, which is actually a very brief uh, IV push, and that can be used down to, to age 12. Uh, these have about an 80% reduction in hospitalization and death. So the monoclonal antibody is very effective. Former President Trump had received a version of this. Governor Abbott in Texas. I went on with podcaster Joe Rogan. Uh, Aaron, right. Aaron Rodgers from the um, the Packers had texted me. He had received monoclonal antibodies. They all basically received the McCullough protocol and uh, understand that things work in combination. If we can't get the monoclonal antibodies, then we move into the antiviral drugs. Uh, in the first year of the pandemic, we relied on hydroxychloroquine because it's pretty much what we had. The second year of the pandemic, we relied on ivermectin. And now the mm -hmm. third year of the pandemic, we're relying on Paxlovid, which is the Pfizer drug. Uh, the Pfizer drug now uh, has over an 80% reduction in hospitalization and death alone. It's been used in younger people. It's a combination of nelfenpiravir and ritonavir. And it's, it's reasonably well tolerated. There's some drug interactions we have to watch out for, but it's manageable. Uh, I think a weak second choice is the Merck drug, Molnipiravir, because it's only 30% effective and it has some uh, cancer risks to it. So uh, I think Paxlovid is the way to go. Now, we combine it with doxycycline and azithromycin because it has those have some mild antiviral capabilities, but they also cover bacterial super infections and actually co-infections, including mycoplasma and chlamydia pneumonias. And then uh, we use inhaled budesonide throughout. And then if pulmonary symptoms develop, we use oral prednisone or dexamethasone. Uh, colchicine uh, throughout, uh, particularly those with underlying lung or thoracic disease because it reduces the pleural pericardial manifestations and well-supported in the large randomized trial. And then after that, we're down to blood thinners. Aspirin 325 a day for everybody is good. Our Italian colleagues are using 700 milligrams a day of aspirin because that's how it comes there. That's fine. And then... If there are immobile seniors, nursing home residents, people in wheelchairs, people have already had blood clots, I don't fool around. I put them on Lovenox, one milligram per kilogram twice a day, or oral anticoagulants uh, such as Eliquis, Xeralto, Perdexa. Now, that's a lot to consider. It's called sequence multidrug therapy. So skilled doctors can do this. And when it's done, I've testified in the Senate recently on January 24th. I told America when it's done, my estimates are, that 95% of all hospitalizations and death are avoidable. Who else wants a free, fresh bottle of olive oil shipped straight to their door? Let me back up. The first time I went to Italy, I finally tasted real olive oil for the first time. It's not that I had never had olive oil before, of course, in the States, but the difference was I was having olive oil made fresh from olives that were growing on the property in Ravello 
off the Amalfi Coast. It was an experience I will never forget. And I ended up shipping like six bottles of it home because I couldn't bear to go back to store-bought processed olive oil. Well, the same thing happened to TJ Robinson. He's also known as the olive oil hunter. He learned that olive oil packs the most flavor and the healthiest nutrients when it's fresh from the farm. And that's the problem with your typical like supermarket olive oil. The olive oil is not fresh. They can sit on the shelf for months, years, growing stale. And that's why I'm so excited that I now get my olive oil direct from small award-winning farms. Thanks to TJ, who I just did an olive oil tasting with, which was so fun. I absolutely fell in love with their vibrant, fresh, grassy flavors. They're totally delicious. They're great on veggies, pasta, salad, you name it. And TJ has his fresh-pressed Olive Oil Club and Food Heals Nation, he will send you a full-size bottle worth $39 of one of the world's finest, most artisanal olive oils, fresh from the latest harvest, but he's only going to charge you $1 to help cover shipping. There's no commitment to buy anything now or ever. It's his gift to Food Heals Nation. So you can get your free $39 bottle for just $1 shipping. Taste the difference. Taste the freshness. You can go to Get Fresh. 323.com. That's getfresh323.com. You'll get your free bottle and you'll pay $1 for shipping. Getfresh323.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Food Heals Nation, do not hit the skip button because I'm about to tell you the most amazing recipe I've ever made and you're going to taste test it with me, okay? This is the creamy, decadent, Organifi chocolate mousse. I'm going to teach you how to make it. We're going to taste it together. And I'm going to give you a coupon code, of course, at the end so you can make it yourself. And it's healthy. Uh, The recipe is by Drew Cannoli. You know him from Food Heals many years ago. He was on with Susie and I. And I'm happy to report that he's coming back. That was definitely a fan favorite. If you want to go back and listen, it was a fun episode. That was the only episode where Susie ever asked a guest to marry her. Okay? But you have to go back and listen to hear that moment. (laughs) All right. So um, I made the creamy, decadent, Organifi chocolate mousse. This is from the Organifi website. Um... I'm going to read a little bit from the blog because it's, it's very true. Divine decadence, sultry satisfaction. It honestly doesn't matter what words you use to describe this drool-worthy dessert. Heck, given Organifi Moose's health benefits, you don't even have to deem it a dessert because it can be enjoyed whenever you desire. So dig right in. Okay, so that's from the blog. And it's true. Okay, first let me tell you the health benefits of this mousse. So this is, you can feel, you can fool your kids, you can fool your husband, you can fool your friends. They're not going to know this is a healthy, delicious dessert. So when those kids are like, mommy, we want dessert, or when your inner child is like, I'm tired, I want dessert, this is it, okay? 
So you're going to put the Organifi green juice into the recipe, which gives you some amazing health benefits like boosting your energy and brain power, helping with your mental clarity, providing your body with healthy nutrients like the electrolytes in the coconut water, helping to reduce stress, promoting healthy skin, hair and nails, and detoxifying your body and helping to flush toxins out. The next ingredient after the green juice is avocado. Of course, you know avocado, very nutritious, uh, has tons of nutrients and vitamins, 20 vitamins and minerals to be exact. And of course, it's a rich source of antioxidants like vitamin C and vitamin E. Um, raw cacao. Yum. This is where it gets the chocolatey flavor made from the cacao tree, one of the best sources of antioxidants on the planet. All right, let's get into it. Here's the ingredients. I just made it. It's so easy to make. Four medium and ripe avocados, one scoop Organifi green juice, one third cup raw coconut nectar, one half cup raw cacao powder, one teaspoon of vanilla extract, a pinch of salt, and you know, if you want to garnish it with some strawberries or nuts or fruit, or if you have some like vegan whipped cream or something you want to put on top, that's optional. Okay, it's literally the easiest recipe I've ever made in my whole life. Blend the avocado in a blender until it's smooth. Add the other ingredients until the blended avocado, it kind of makes a, a blended mousse. Okay, so easy. Now, you got to chill it in the refrigerator for about two hours to make it taste really good. There's also a hack to this. This is what I did. I mixed ice cubes in it so that it would be chilled. Okay, so <laughs> you do you. That's what I did. Um, how easy is that? You want to taste it with me? It's divine. Oh my god. This is so good. <laughs> Food Heals Nation, you got to try it. It's one of the best recipes I've ever made. They've got more recipes on their website. It's a great way to get your greens on. Um, and if you want to get some greens right now, Go to OrganifiShop.com slash FoodHeals, and when you go there, you're going to see my little picture pop up, and you can use the coupon code FoodHeals to get 20% off your order. So get the green juice, put it in the avocado mousse, and change your life. That's all I'm going to say about it. You're going to change your life. Again, it's OrganifiShop.com slash FoodHeals. Use the coupon code FoodHeals. You'll get 20% off your order. Make the moose. Tag me on Instagram. I want to see your pictures. I want to hear how you loved it because I know you're going to love it. <laughs> All right. Now back to my interview with Dr. McCullough. And so if someone's listening right now and they're like, wow, Dr. McCullough just dropped so much knowledge, gave us so many treatment healing protocols, what should I do? Should I call my doctor and ask for these? Should I go to the website? I know you have the McCullough Report on americaoutloud.com slash the dash McCullough dash report, which I'll put in the show notes. But what should a patient do if they're like, all right, I've got it. What is my next step? I think most seniors should understand if you have seniors who listen to it. I mean, people over 65. Uh, if, if someone has not taken a vaccine in, since October 1st, they're essentially unvaccinated. And even if they have taken a vaccine, what we understand is the protection is negligible at this stage, that they're at risk. And uh, particularly those who haven't had COVID, they're still susceptible. So I think everybody ought to give a call to their primary care doctor and say, listen, we're two years into this. You know, are you treating COVID? You know, are you ready to go with the drugs in sequence? You know, do you follow, you know, a protocol? The McCullough protocol is one to follow. The uh, FLCC protocol is another to follow. AFD, AFLDS is another. Or do they follow one of the 
suggested protocols. If the doctor says, no, I don't, or I'm not comfortable, then you say, well, who do you refer to? You know, who's your referral source? And doctors have a duty to treat. And if they don't treat, they have a duty to refer. And I think I really want patients to start driving their physicians a bit on this. A lot of patients have given up on their doctors. They've been going to telemedicine services. Uh, they've been doing all kinds of workarounds. And we need to bring the conventional primary care doctor back into the uh, back into the fold. We're at a low point with COVID right now. Uh, we've gone through the Omicron outbreak and we're at lower levels, but now we see it firing up again in China and in East Asia. And there's reports that now it's the BA2 subvariant of Omicron, which is more transmissible. So um, I, I think we're going to ha potentially have another swing through and it may be our, our older, more susceptible people. Now you mentioned something at the very beginning I want to touch on. You mentioned okay. you never got COVID. And, right. you know, the CDC in their herd immunity estimates has always said 15% of people can't get COVID. They simply can't get it. And there have, there's been a, uh, some papers, uh, one by Lindner and colleagues, suggested maybe that part of it is cross-reactivity with other coronaviruses. And the prototypical person would be a mother or a, a daycare worker who gets tons of exposure to lots of little kids with colds. And they just, they literally become immune due to cross immunity with so many other coronaviruses. Uh, but the leading theory on this has been uh, proposed by Dr. Sabine Hazen out in California, Ventura Hills. And uh, she has found that it's the microbiome. It's actually the yeah. constellation yeah. of bacteria. Now she does research on stool samples and uses the GI tract microbiome as a proxy, but the microbiome from the nasopharynx to the intestine, it changes, but it is contiguous. And so there are some uh, ways to score the microbiome. And those who have a very favorable microbiome score, she's studied family members who have been in a household where everyone's sick around them with COVID and they don't get COVID because they've got right. a healthy microbiome. And what that means is the virus just can't set up shop and replicate and really take over because the natural bacteria are defending the body. Yeah. I mean, that makes so much sense to me. And as a person, and as you said earlier, you know, the more fit you are, the less likely you are to get it suffer. Um, I am, I am that person. And so my immunity is constantly being boosted. I'm very aware of my microbiome. I'm always taking my probiotics and doing preventative measures so I don't get sick. And this whole time I've been around, I haven't been around children. Um, I've been around friends or family members, but I pretty much, oops, I pretty much, um, I was, I was alone for the first, you know, I don't remember now, three to five months of this because I lived alone already. And so they said, stay home and don't see people. And I did what they told me to do. And then when I started going out into the world and I got on planes, trains, automobiles, started traveling again, I was like, all right, this is it. If it's coming, it's coming. And it never came. And I think it's because I'm just constantly super boosting my microbiome, boosting my immunity, all that good stuff. And so I'm absolutely a fan of doing whatever you can at home. And then I also wanted to ask you about um, the three things you mentioned earlier, which were the ivermectin, the hydro hydrochloroquine, and the antibodies. Because, like, I know our mutual friend Jeremy, who introduced us, his he swears that his father was saved by the antibodies. And I know people who have talked about the ivermectin absolutely being a game changer. But why were they so um, so? controversial and why weren't they allowed to be talked about and how do they work? Do they work and how do they work? Well, let's take the monoclonal antibodies, which are fully emergency use authorized. We've gone through two different products with Lilly now, a wonderful combination product with Regeneron, which was our workhorse and a GSK product. 
that is showing good uh, efficacy even against resistant strains. The monoclonal antibodies are a product of Operation Warp Speed, and they're nothing short of a miracle. I can't imagine that I'm treating a viral infection with a specific targeted antibody that's safe and effective, it's easily infused, and it literally neutralizes the circulatory viruses in the bloodstream before the virus does too much damage. And so I can tell you they are miraculous. And what's frustrating to me is why weren't they advertised on TV? Why weren't there 1-800 numbers to show where our high-risk seniors could find them? Why weren't there monoclonal antibody infusion centers? I know Governor Ron DeSantis went nuts down in Florida. He said, listen, we you know, we got to feature these. This can't be a, a secret. Uh, they've been grossly underutilized in a paper in medical economics in November of 2020. It was announced that the U.S. had already purchased 100 million doses and had 500 million doses on order. I mean, that is more than enough to treat every high-risk per- person we ever had in America. And sadly, wow. they haven't received it. And you know, the hospital administrators and doctors have been focusing on the wrong uh, stratification metrics. How many times have you heard about hospitalizations and then someone will announce, well, it's uh, it's mainly among the unvaccinated. And I right, say, listen, the right. vaccine isn't a treatment. You want to hear how many people are hospitalized who got the monoclonal antibodies and how many are hospitalized but without, you know, without the opportunity to receive monoclonal antibodies because that would have been the operating metric to improve. So if hospitals were hospitalizing people without giving them monoclonal antibodies, you know, that's what could be improved in community care, not not a vaccine. A vaccine is not treatment. And so you, you can tell that they're focusing on the wrong things. They kept reporting hospitalizations by vaccine status. I said, that's a waste of time. Why don't you tell us who got the monoclonal antibodies? That's the, right. that's the missed opportunity. I'm looking carefully at all these hospitalized reports. I think virtually everybody hospitalized has been denied monoclonal antibodies. And it's really, it's really a shame. In fact, it's a tragedy. In fact, hospitals should give them in the ER. Now, hospitals have said, well, we can't give it in the hospital because the emergency use authorize, authorization restricts us to an outpatient. I'd say, fine, give it in an ER uh, to you know meet the criteria, and then you met them if you want to. Uh, but you know, denying people monoclonal antibodies has really been a tragedy. And then the other thing in the inpatient care, which has been a disaster, is the use of remdesivir. Remdesivir is, a, is an intravenous polymerase inhibitor. Uh, in the clinical trials, it resulted in more deaths compared to placebo. And in 2020, the World Health Organization says, don't use it. Don't use it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the hospitals in the United States have not followed the regulatory guidance on this. They still give remdesivir. And sadly, people still go into renal failure or liver failure and they pass away. It's yeah, really it's atrocious. So now patients have been trained to go into the hospital and absolutely deny remdesivir and do not let them try to put that in the IV solutions and things like this because the hospitals are getting a financial bonus and many times they're giving remdesivir uh, against people's wishes or not telling them or just, uh, you know, just assuming it's okay. And so this is a terrible practice. Remdesivir should be removed from the market to remove this hazard from our seniors in the hospital. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This sounds criminal to me. I'm like, this is unacceptable. (laughs) You know, I have to say that the oblivion in treatment has, I think, attributed, uh, you know, I I think we're approaching nearly a million people have lost their lives in the United States. And and now we know about 95% were preventable. It means millions and millions of hospitalizations were avoidable. 
And everybody in the hospital basically has either been denied access to or has not gotten early treatment. Now, you asked about hydroxychloroquine in the published studies, outpatient uh, meta-analysis published by Dr. Ladapo, who's now the Surgeon General in Florida and myself, showed that hydroxychloroquine is about 25% effective. It's kind of modest, but it, it does uh, have a beneficial effect. Ivermectin, uh, supported now by over 70 studies, over 33 randomized trials, has about a 55% uh, benefit. So ivermectin is more diverse, and interestingly, it's more diverse inpatient and outpatient. Where hydroxychloroquine did very, relatively little late in the disease, ivermectin seems to work through the entire range of disease. It's diverse. Wonderful paper called the ICON study, published by Dr. J.J. Uh, Roster from Florida, published in Chest, one of the best journals, showed that inpatient use of, of ivermectin worked great. And the saddest thing is that hospitals across the United States deny patients inpatient ivermectin. The American Medical Association has an official campaign they announced in September to abolish the use of ivermectin. So as patients are denied ivermectin, they continue to be hospitalized. And when in the hospital, they tend to, to die. And so these efforts to to block early treatment have really been harmful to, to Americans. And so 95% of these deaths are preventable. Who dropped the ball? Like, in your opinion, like, is it the government, the CDC, the hospital staff, the media? Like, what is it that is behind all of this that is causing this amount of ridiculous numbers of 95% of these deaths were preventable? It's all of the above. It's all, yeah. <laughs> okay. it's it's all, all of the above. above. Can you imagine... We are two years into this. We have thousands and thousands of local broadcasters across the United States. Mm -hmm. They never give an update on early treatment. They never give updates on what you should do when you get COVID. People sit and watch TV all day long. All the major networks have never given a comprehensive update on what you should do if you get COVID. Our public yeah. health agencies have never give, given updates. Our medical schools have not held local seminars. The public health agencies haven't, to this day, someone who tests positive with COVID, they are given no instructions on what they should do at home. And it, right. so it is an absolute mess. And I can tell you now, I'm going to give a big public seminar tonight in Fort Worth, uh, but I've given seminars now in over two dozen major cities. You know, okay. th thousands of people come out and we go over the data. We go over the supportive studies, the protocols. People want to know what to do at home. And I was recently on this podcast I mentioned, and I, I told uh, you know one of the young uh, podcasters, I said, what have you done? Have you held regular updates to help your listeners? And, and, and you know, he kind of looked at me like in a blank. And it's most media people have not fulfilled their public health duties as media people to bring new information about early treatment forward. Uh, the medical schools haven't. The hospital systems haven't. It's been a complete and total failure across the board. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, Food Heals Nation, I'm sorry to end the interview here, but there is a part two. It's just too hot for Food Heals. It's a little bit too controversial, but it's definitely information that I know you want to know and that I really want to share with you, but I just can't risk it on the main Food Heals feed. As you know, I've been censored. As you may or may not know, Dr. McCullough has been censored. He is one of the doctors that uh, was talked about in the press, in the media, after going on Joe Rogan's podcast. I think that he's a man of science, a man of data, and I think that he is a world-renowned cardiologist who has a true, true goal to help people. I think the rest of the podcast is a must-listen. But because I'm not willing to get censored on these platforms like YouTube, um, Luckily, Spotify isn't seeming to do it to health podcasters. Other platforms are. As you know, I was censored by my own software for talking about vitamins and vegetables, nothing even controversial. And so in order to continue to bring you the latest, best, cutting-edge health information that I can, I can't afford to get shut down. It's not worth it to me. So that's why when I have a guest or information that may now be considered controversial, although I don't think it is, I think it's health information that we all need to know, um, from now on I will be putting it behind a $5 a month paywall. That is to protect me, and um, that's just a great place where you can go and get loads of extra content. So if you love Food Heals, if you can't get enough, all the extra content will be there. It's not all going to be controversial stuff. Uh, some of it is fun and lighthearted, so you'll get the best of both worlds. I think the information is imperative. I would spend the five bucks just to listen to that interview, and if you don't want to be in the VIP club, you cancel tomorrow. I don't care. Um, but I want to put the information out, but I don't want it to go to all the podcasting platforms. I don't want it to go to YouTube. I don't want to get too big so that I can get shut down. So I hope you understand. I really, really do. I, I don't want to do it this way. I would prefer to say everything on the main show. However, the powers that be are cracking down on creators and podcasters and people and brands like myself. I'm not the only one this has happened to. Um, now that I've been going through the debacle with my software, I found some private messages that had been sent to me on Facebook. I didn't even know that were there. And it was other people saying, this happened to me too, here's my story. They're shutting down coaches, people in the spirituality realm, people in the health and wellness realm. I'm not the only one that this is happening to, kind of makes me feel better, but also scares me on a bigger level because I know if it's happening to little old me, it can happen to anyone. And so to avoid it, to, con uh, to avoid it from continuing to happen or happening again or happening on this platform, on this microphone that is my life, blood, my blood, sweat, and tears I put into this show to make for you for free forever. Um, you know, I have to protect myself and protect the show by putting certain content behind a paywall. I hope you understand. I love you guys so much. So 
Go to glow.fm slash foodheals and you can sign up to be a member of the VIP club. What happens is you'll get access not only to the interview with Dr. McCullough, you'll also get access to all the content I've made since I started in, I can't remember if it was 2018 or 2019. So all this back content that you're welcome to go and listen to. And it covers all kinds of things, things I'm interested in. Um, it has interviews with people who are on the show, and then we kind of go behind the scenes. Okay, we talked about wellness on Food Heals. Now let's go behind the scenes of how you built this business, right? So I have a lot of those types of interviews. Then I have a lot of um, sections, or what should, I, what should I call them, clips, from um, my mastermind, from Food Heals U, Food Heals University. I have some clips from my courses, like Food Freedom. Um, and so there's just a lot of information in there. There's a lot of interviews, and there's a lot of just privately me talking. And lately, I just started sharing juicy stories from my life. So another story I'll be sharing is how I was recently attacked in a Facebook group. I was, I was in the Facebook group trying to um, help people and share what had happened to me. And I got a lot of support and thank yous and wow, we had no idea. And, uh, you know, I was helping people navigate, you know, how to not let this happen to them. And while I was doing that, there were three women who were trolling, attacking and just coming after me. So I'm going to share that story in the VIP club as well. Um, so, yeah, there'll be personal stories in there and there will be behind the scenes in there. There will be stuff that's too hot for food heels because I don't want to get censored. And there's a lot of fun, great interviews in there that I think you'll enjoy. So check that out, glow.fm slash food heels, five bucks a month. If you're feeling generous, you can donate more. It always helps me. It just goes back into making the show better for you. I don't know if you noticed, but I've released like six shows this month. I want to help. I did a bunch of interviews, so I'm, I'm happy to provide those for you. So what does Dr. McCullough talk about in part two? He talks about the V, I hope you know what I'm talking about, and um, the efficacy, and what are the results showing, um, bears, you can look that up, and um, he just breaks down the data and what they're seeing so that you can make an informed decision about your own health, and um, it's really good. I think it's definitely worth a listen. I probably already said that. So in order not to ramble on, I will just tell you another update is that um, if you're following the censorship debacle which you can follow at foodhealsnation.com slash fight censorship. I, I do have an update. I haven't even posted it there yet. But uh, originally when I got the first email that said your email is shut down, they said I had too many spam complaints, okay? So I'm thinking that's weird because I've been sending the same type of emails for six and a half years. First I was on Active Campaign, then I was on Kartra. Never once did I get, oh, you have too many spam complaints. So why all of a sudden was I over the spam complaint threshold? And by the way, what is the spam complaint threshold? How many spam complaints does it take to get shut down? Well, I found out. I thought hundreds. I thought thousands. It was 19. I got 19 spam complaints. So what does that tell you? That tells me that this is not about the spam complaints because that is clearly not enough based on the thousands of people that I email for it to be red flagged. This tells me that it is the content, but the content hasn't changed. So I believe it's a sign of the times affecting the companies who are going, well, this isn't, we're not going to be associated with this content. So you get a spam complaint, you know, you're red flagged. We look at it and we decide ourselves and you're out. And that's what they did. And um, I talked to, a, I think I mentioned a second ago, a couple of 
uh, people on Facebook who this happened to too with the same software. And um, yeah, at first they would blame the spam complaints, but then they learned it wasn't about that. That was just the cover. That was just the like beginning uh, because what they really were censoring were the topics. They don't want to be associated with certain topics that they don't believe are, you know, whatever. I don't know <laughs> what they think. So um, that's the update on that. Uh, so for anyone who said, oh, you weren't censored, which people in the Facebook group said, you weren't censored, you had too many, too high of spam complaints. Sorry, but 19 is not high compared to the thousands of people that I send emails to. So that was BS. So yeah, I'll be doing an episode more in depth and I'll be sharing stories of other people that this has happened to with their permission in the VIP club as well. And if you want to stay up to date with the censorship debacle, I post updates at foodhealsnation.com slash fight censorship. And I would love, 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 love if I've ever helped you in any way and you want to make a donation today, it really, really will help me with these, with the whole switching platform process. It has been an expensive, time-consuming process that I hadn't prepared for, you know, and so every little bit helps, and I'm giving back to you. So as you know, I've been cleaning out the swag closet. So for every $10 you donate, you will get an entry to win a swag bag full of my favorite organic, vegan, sponsored products. Um, so, you know, over the last four months of living in my new place in, or my, my Airbnb in Nashville, I collected quite a bit of product uh, from, you know, if you listen to the show regularly, you hear all the sponsors that I have. Um, and so, yeah, it's exciting. I've got all this stuff. I can't wait to send it to you. Um, so all you have to do is go to foodhealsnation.com slash fight censorship, make a donation. $10 is one entry. $20 is two entries, $30 is three entries, and so on and so forth. And every single time I get a donation, I am so grateful. I'm in so much gratitude that you guys want to help me with this. It it really, really fuels my soul. Like, it just reminds me that I am supported and that um, I'm doing this for a reason and that you guys do support my mission and my vision. So yeah, if I've ever helped you in any way and you want to win some swag, I would love a donation. I can't tell you how much it means to me. Follow Dr. Peter McCullough on Instagram at Peter McCullough, MD. Follow him at Twitter at P underscore McCullough, MD. You can listen to his show at americaoutloud.com slash the dash McCullough dash report. And you can hear part two of my interview with Dr. McCullough in the Food Heals VIP Club for five bucks a month. Go to glow.fm slash food heals. See you next time, Food Heals Nation. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to actually start using their $39.99 a month gym membership. If you experience any of these symptoms, Snapchat your trainer immediately.